Good morning, church. Good morning. Wow, what a great morning of worship. What a great time of being in God's presence. I'm so excited about what he's doing here in our lives together. You know, when a king comes into the room, everything changes, right? I mean, you think back to movies you've seen, medieval movies. You think back to the, to the uh, Caesars of Rome or the Pharaohs of Egypt. Whenever the king would come into the room, right, I mean, everything would change. All the attention would be on the king, you know, there would be a big ta-da. There would be trumpets and banners, and everybody would stop whatever they were doing. All of their conversations are trivial. Everybody would focus on the king. Everybody would bow. Their posture would change because the king has come into the room. People would offer gifts, right? Because he's the king, and they wanted to worship the king. Whenever the king comes into the room, everything changes. Well, welcome back to our series. We're in a series called New Year, New You. And in this series, we're talking about how do we grow spiritually in 2015? You know, so many people during this time are making New Year's resolutions and they're working out. If you go to the YMCA, it's packed right now, right? You know, they're doing the cardio, they're getting in shape. But we've said as a people, as followers of God, as followers of Christ, that we want to grow spiritually in 2015. Now, our theme verse for this series is 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. In fact, if you're a parent, your children are memorizing this same verse. And so you can talk to them about it and ask them about it. But the verse says this, for physical training is of some value. And it's important to work out. It's important to stay in shape. It's important to be healthy physically. But godliness has value in all things, right? But godliness has value in all things, holding promise for both this present life and the life to come that your relationship with God impacts everything else in your life. It holds promise for both this present life, but it also holds promise for the life to come, for eternity. Because these bodies, I don't care how good a shape you're in, at some point it's gonna wear out. You know, at some point, the mortality rate is 100%. We're all gonna die. But what goes on is our soul and our spirit. What goes on is that relationship that we have with God. And so we're saying in 2015, how do we grow? How do we mature in our faith? How do we become the men and women that God designed and created us to be? And so we're looking at some workouts. You know, if you go to a trainer, physically, they'll, they'll put you on a workout plan and they're gonna focus on cardio, they're gonna focus on core, upper body, lower body, overall fitness. Spiritually, there's some workouts that we can do. The first one was this, workout of faith. And we said in 2015, how are you gonna grow in your faith? And if you're gonna grow in your faith, you've gotta get out of the boat right? You, you can't just stay doing the same thing you've always done. There's this call to trust, this call to follow, to take that next step in your spiritual walk or spiritual journey. And maybe for some of you, it's baptism. Maybe for some of you, it's joining the church. Maybe for some, it's going on a mission trip. Maybe for some, it's being in a small group. But somehow that you're stepping out of faith, that you're growing. Workout number two, we said was prayer. 
How are you going to grow in your prayer life in 2015? And prayer is not just talking to God. So often it's, you know, our prayers are, God help, right? But prayer is also listening and learning to be silent and learning to be still. Be still and know that I am God, he says. Listening to God, prayer. Last week, Pastor Nick did a great job talking about serve. How are we going to grow in our service in 2015? How are we going to mature in the way that we give back? And today we're looking at this, worship, worship. I'm excited you're here today because I just believe God has a word for us and as we unpack the word of God and what we've discovered in this series is it's not about what we do or don't do. That's not going to make God love us any more or any less, but it's that relationship that we have with God. And the more we fall in love with him, the more we want to know him, the more we want to serve him, the more we want to grow in that relationship with him. And our heartbeat is this, is that we become madly in love with Jesus and fully mature disciples of Christ because God has an incredible life for each of us. And he's saying, come, follow, hold on to me, trust me. And so today, let's talk about what it means to grow in our worship. If you have a Bible with you today, I invite you up with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. New Testament, right? First book, New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 26. Or maybe you have a mobile device. You can access the scriptures online at Uversion. Track along with us as we... Study the Word of God together. We'll also put the words on the screen, so if you want to follow along with us there. But Matthew chapter 26, pick up in verse 6. It says, while Jesus was in Bethany in the home of a man named Simon the leper. Now, I love this because Jesus is at the guy's house called a leper. Now, we don't know if Jesus healed this man at one point, but lepers back in this day were considered unclean. You just didn't hang out with lepers, right? And yet Jesus is there. Jesus is at his house. Jesus is in relationship. Jesus hung out with sinners and tax collectors. He, he loves all people. He loves ordinary people like you and me. He just loves us. And so he's there with Simon the leper. And a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. Now this is powerful. This alabaster jar, we know from some of the other gospels, it was probably worth about a year's worth of wages. I mean, this is expensive, expensive perfume. Uh, back in this day, uh, Jewish women, they, they loved perfume. In fact, they would wear necklaces with little vials of perfume around their neck. And perfume was important to them. Uh, you can also imagine that people didn't shower as much as we do today. And so, you know, perfume was really important. But they had a perfume, and these women, they loved their perfume. And it was important to them. It was precious to them. And this woman comes in and takes not just a little vial, but an entire jar and pours it on Jesus. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? What she has done is a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And 2,000 years later, we're still talking about it, right? <laughs> Jesus said it will be told about her. And here we are talking about this incredible act of worship. 
of worship. Now, this story is recorded in really all four of the Gospels. Mark records it like, you know, verbatim. And so we figured this is the same parallel. John says that it was Mary, you know, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, when Jesus healed Lazarus, restored him from the dead, and that Mary poured perfume on Jesus. Now, we're not sure if that's the exact same story. It may have been that, you know, here's Mary, and she's just pouring out her love on Jesus as well. The Gospel of Luke tells a story, but it says it happened in the home of Simon a Pharisee. Simon was a very common name back then. So probably a different story in a different woman who, who poured out blessings on Jesus and who worshiped Jesus. In fact, if you go to Luke's account, it says that Jesus is there with Simon the Pharisee and this woman begins to, to pour this perfume on him and then dry his feet with her hair. And Simon the Pharisee looks and just, you know, kind of pious mode says, Jesus, do you know this woman who's touching you? She is a sinful woman. Do you know the mistakes she's made in her life? And Jesus said, yeah, Simon, but do you know those who've been forgiven much love much? Wow. Those who've been forgiven much love much. And he said, Simon, you know what? I came into your home and you didn't even wash my feet. You did nothing. And this woman's not only washing and putting perfume on, she's drying it with her hair. This extravagant expression of love. Do you ever have those love bursts? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> you know, you, you just look at your, maybe your child or you look at a best friend that you've had for years and years. And you, or maybe you look at your spouse sometimes and you just go, I love you. I mean, it's just like your heart is beating out of your chest. It's just this love burst. It just explodes out of you. That's what happened here. This woman just says, thank you, Jesus. You've redeemed me. You've restored me. You've transformed my life. Thank you. This love, it's worship. So what is worship? What is worship? Well, I want to give you two definitions. I, I pray we'll just get into the culture here at Rolling Hills. And, and the first definition is this. Worship is our response. Worship is our response to God for who he is and for what he's done in our lives. So worship is our response to God for who he is. He is sovereign. He is over all creation. He is the sustainer of life. He is the creator of life. He breathed breath into you and to me for who he is, but also for what he's done in our lives. I mean, you just think about what God's done in your life. Do you ever go back and just think and just go, wow, God, you have blessed me. I mean, God, you have just lavished your blessings on me. Why do I have so much? And yeah, I have problems and I have challenges and I have difficulties, but God, you have been so good to me. Worship is our response. It's our response back to God. The second definition is this. Worship is our heart's affection and our mind's attention. Worship is our heart's affection and our mind's attention. If you think about that for a moment. You want to know what you worship? You think about what holds your heart. You want to know what you worship? You think about where you give your attention, where you give your energy, what you spend your time thinking about. And it'll be an indication of what you worship. Now, why is worship so important? I mean, if you look at the scriptures and you go back to the Old Testament, I mean, worship, 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 worship. You know, in fact, there were kings and, and God would say, you, you guys, you're not worshiping me. And it would impact not only their family, it would impact an entire nation. Why is it so important? Well, you remember when the children of Israel were coming out of the land of slavery, out of Egypt, and God's taking them to the promised land and God meets them at Mount Sinai and he gives them the 10 commandments. What's the first commandment? No other gods, right? 
You're going to go into this land, and you're going to get, you know, all these things and all these blessings, and you're going to have your heart taken and your mind taken, but no other gods. No other gods. Why? Because our God is a jealous God. Our God wants our heart. Worship reveals your heart. You know, what if you go to your wife and you say, honey, listen, 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 I, I love you. Oh, but I also love her. <laughs> oh, and I love her, and wow, I really love her, and whoa, I, I love her too. Your wife's gonna go, you don't love me. You're gonna, no, 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 I do love you. I just love them too. And she's like, no, you don't. You don't love me. And there's a God who's saying, I want you to love me. I want you to trust me. I want to be the Lord of your life. I want to be the joy of your heart. I want you to find your worth and your value in me. I created you. I know what makes you work. I know what makes you tick. I believe in you and I love you. Trust me. Worship me. But what happens? Our hearts are drawn away, aren't they? You see, this woman has this incredible expression of worship. And what is the disciples' response? Do the disciples go, wow, look at that worship. I mean, that's a year's worth of wages that she just poured out. No, the disciples, they saw this and they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. The perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. You see what can happen so often, just like with the disciples, even though they were around Jesus, what did they really worship? Money. And see, Jesus knows, right? Jesus knows that money is the chief competitor for our hearts. There's a lot of other things we can worship. You can worship a relationship, you can worship a career, you can worship, you know, possessions. But, but so often, money becomes that chief competitor for our hearts. In fact, that's why Jesus said in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, he said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, you'll despise the one and be devoted to the other. You, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, is money a bad thing? No. It's not bad in and of itself, but it can so easily steal our heart. It can so easily become the God that we worship. Uh, I love A.W. Tozer, and I don't know if you're looking for a book to read this year, uh, The Pursuit of God. Incredible, incredible book. Uh, but Tozer writes this in, the, in his book, and he says, millions call themselves by his name. It is true, and pay some token of homage to him. But a simple test will show how little he is really honored above them. Let the average man be put to the proof on the question of who or what is above, right? What do you worship? And his true position will be exposed. Let him be forced into making a choice between God and money, between God and men, between God and personal ambition, God and self, God and human love, and God will take second place every time. Those other things will be exalted above. However the man may protest, the proof is in the choice he makes day after day throughout his life. Wow. Wow. I want you to see if you're still in Matthew chapter 26. In Matthew chapter 26, right after this in verse 14, look what happens. In verse 14, it says, then... So this is tying together what has happened here with this woman, this incredible act of worship and this beauty. It says, then one of the 12, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 silver coins. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Even though Judas was with Jesus for three years, 
His heart wasn't there, was it? His heart was still into money. I'll, I'll trade him out. I'll sell him out for 30 pieces of silver. And what happened to Judas? As soon as he did, as soon as he betrayed him, what the, the guilt that came over him, and, and he rushes back into the temple, take the money, I don't want it. I blew it. And so often we chase the things of this world only to see that they lead us to a dead end and only to stop and to turn back. And every time we turn back, praise God, he's there for us. But there's a God who's drawing us to his heart, a God who is inviting us in, a God who says, I love you. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he said, seek first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And listen, all these other things will be added unto you. He goes, don't worry about it, I'll take care of you. I'm your heavenly father, I love you, I believe in you. I'll take care of all this, but you trust me. You fall in love with me, you worship me. And so as you look at your life, as I look at my life, you know, what do we worship? What do we worship? I mean, not just on Sundays, but every day. What do we worship? Where's our heart? Because the fact of the matter is this, the result of worship is intimacy. And that's what God longs for us. God longs for us to have this intimate relationship with him. Oswald Chambers writes this. He says, the most important aspect of Christianity is not the work we do, Get that, right? The most important aspect is not the work we do, but the relationship we maintain and the surrounding influence and qualities produced by that relationship. That is all God asks us to give our attention to. And the one thing that is continually under attack. <laughs> Isn't that true in your life and in my life? The one thing that's continually under attack is my heart's affection or my mind's attention, drawing it away from God. And yet there's a God who's saying, hey, let me be enough. Let me be enough for you. Let me just lavish my love on you. Trust me. Hold on to me. You see, there's power in worship, right? There's power in worship. Worship changes us, but I mean, worship also changes things. I mean, worship is us focusing on the, the presence of God, and, and the presence of God is greater than our present reality. In Acts chapter 16, the apostle Paul and a guy named Silas, they're on a mission trip. And they're in Philippi. And they're walking along, and, and the Bible tells us that this slave girl, this slave girl who had a, had a, had a demon in her, but, but she could predict the future. So she was making a lot of money for her owners because she was predicting the future. She was a fortune teller. And she sees Paul and Silas walking along, and she starts to follow them. And she's saying, hey, these men are followers of the Most High God. Listen to them. Paul and Silas are like, this is a little awkward, you know, but they're walking down the street, this girl's following them. These men, these men are followers of the Most High God. Listen to them, listen to what they say. And the Bible says, do you believe in God? Good, even the demons believe in God and shudder, you know. I mean, yeah, God is real. And so this girl is seeing that in them and, and affirming that. And finally, Paul turns around and he says, hey, evil spirit come out of her. Heal her, redeem her, restore her. And the spirit comes out. Well, the owners come up, and the Bible says this, when they saw that their hope of making money was gone, they didn't care about the girl, right? They didn't care about her life. Their hope for making money was gone. Then they had Paul and Silas beaten and put in prison. And so Paul and Silas are beaten for the gospel. They're in prison. They're in stocks. They're in the inner cell. And it says in verse 25 of Acts 16, about midnight, Paul and Silas 
are praying and singing hymns to God. Paul and Silas are worshiping. Now, I gotta admit, I might have been there going, God, seriously, you know, <laughs> I'm trying to do this, I'm on a mission trip, I, and here I am. But Paul and Silas, they're just worshiping, and it says that the other prisoners were listening. And the other prisoners are going, what is different? What's going on with you? And they're singing at the top of their lungs. Man, they're singing all these worship songs. They're just going at it. They're worshiping. And then the, the Bible says the ground started to shake. This earthquake comes, right? And everything's shaking, and the doors of the prison fly open. And the jailer runs in because he thinks that the prisoners have escaped. And so he's about to kill himself. And Paul goes, no, 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 no. We're all here. We're all here. And the jailer falls on his knees and says, what must I do to be saved? I, I want that. I want that. And, and Paul has a chance to lead him to Christ. And his whole household is baptized. And the church in Philippi starts with a jailer and a slave girl. And Lydia, who was a businesswoman, and starts the early church there in Philippi. There's worship. I got to tell you, this is an area in my own life that I've grown over the years. I grew up in a great church, grew up in an awesome church. I had a great, you know, children's ministry, student ministry. And so if you're a parent, way to go. I mean, I was so thankful my parents took me to church each week. I'm so thankful that I grew and had a foundation, a spiritual foundation in my life and morally and ethically in all the ways, but just knowing Jesus, knowing him. And how important that is in my life. But I got to tell you that, you know, I would go into big church and, and, and the music was good, but I was like, okay, you know, I, I, just, I didn't engage. But when I went to college, all of a sudden there was this worship movement that happened, right? And, and these songs coming out and I, I realized, wait a minute, instead of singing songs about God, I started to sing songs to God. It, does that make sense, right? Instead of singing about God, I started singing songs to God, and my focus changed. My, it was like my heart changed, my, my mind changed. And I was going, there is power here in praising my God. And then I went on mission trips. And I'll never forget one of the early mission trips I went on and went to Brazil. And we're in Rio de Janeiro, and, and I took a group of students, and we're in this church in downtown Rio, and they had the windows open all around, and the church is packed. And there's believers all gathered in there. And they started to sing holy, holy, holy in Portuguese. And we knew it, right? I mean, we just sang it. And we're singing out in English and they're singing in Portuguese. And I was like, whoa, wow, this is what heaven's going to be like. I mean, this is going to be incredible in every tongue and every language. And now when you go to churches like in Moldova and you see people, they have nothing. I mean, as far as physical possessions, I mean, nothing. And yet they come in and they just pour out their hearts to God. God, thank you. God, you're enough. You are so good and gracious. We're at a church in Beirut, Lebanon. And they're seeing people who've had family members killed in wars and battles. And yet they just come and they worship. And I said, man, there's something here of you and I being able to express our thanksgiving to God. So many weeks, I'll sit right down here and Leo and Solomon and Lene and the worship team and, and I'll just start to cry sometimes and going, whoa, God, you're so good. You're so good. And this joy that comes up in your heart and worship and also just this total love for a God who is for you and a God who loves you. So how do we grow in our worship? How do we grow? In 2015, we're endeavoring each week to say, here's some things that you and I can do, some practical things to grow in this certain area. So how do we grow in our worship? Well, I'm going to give you five points. The first one is this. If we're to grow in our worship, number one is this. Make Sunday morning worship a priority. Make it a priority. 
You know, as I said earlier, when the king comes in the room, everything changes. And you and I, when we come together as the body, we come into the presence of the king of kings and lord of lords. And everything should change for us. In the Ten Commandments, God said to the children of Israel, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Right? Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Why? Because God knew. The very first part of the week, the very first part of the week, you come and you dedicate that to me because your week's gonna get busy. You're gonna be doing all kinds of things. Your mind's attention, your heart's affection's gonna go in different ways, but you dedicate that first part of the week to me. And so making that a priority. Now, now we've talked a lot as a staff. We talk about, well, what do we do? Because we have an online campus. Many of you are watching online. Hello, good morning. Well, what is that? You know, is that, is that good? I think it's great because we have people watching from different parts of the world. But you know what? The online campus is not an excuse for us to say, we're going to stay at home, right? We're going to put it up on the Apple TV. We're just going to kind of hang out here and we're going to watch it. Why? Because there's power in the body being gathered. Now, if your child is sick, praise God, keep up with the series, stay online. Hello. You know, I mean, that's, it's great. But it's never an excuse for us to say, hey, we're not going to come and gather because we know what happens here, the music, the message, what's happening in children's ministry, preschool students, the body gathered. The Bible says God inhabits the praises of his people. God inhabits the praises of his people. It's important that we're here. It's important that we gather. Here's number two as we move in 2015. Number two is this, that we prepare our heart for worship. See, worship doesn't just start when the first song plays, right? Worship starts as we prepare our hearts. I go to bed early on Saturday nights. I know it's weird, like when I was in college, you used to go out all the time, you know, but now you're like, I'm going to bed because I know, hey, I'm meeting with the king of kings tomorrow. And I'm coming into the presence of God tomorrow. I want to be ready. And as we prepare our hearts it starts when we are driving here. It starts as we get up. It starts as we come here. Now, this doesn't happen here at Rolling Hills, but in some churches, you know, people get to church really late. They just do. It doesn't happen here, right? But, but in some places, it just happens. I know, and, and, and there's all kinds of reasons. You know, we always have reasons why that happens. But I would challenge us, okay, church? I would just challenge us. I mean, maybe that's not us, but it, I mean, whoever it is. You know, I would just say, hey, listen, as we move into 2015, let's get ready. And let's come and, and let's worship. Let's prepare our hearts. You know, if you were meeting with the President of the United States, pretty sure we'd be on time, right? <laughs> I'm pretty sure if we were meeting with our boss, I'm pretty sure we would be ready. I'm pretty sure we would come prepared because we're coming in to the presence of the King of Kings. We want to be ready. And there's all kinds of things that Satan's going to do to try to throw us off. You know, every time. Sunday morning is always the challenge with kids. It's always the challenge with whatever. You know, it's always challenge. But somehow we can get our kids ready and they're not tardy for school. Or somehow we can get to work on time. But we just come ready. Prepare our hearts so that worship happens. Number three is this. Give God your full attention. Give God your full attention. Hey, church, I love to sing, but I'm terrible. I'll just be honest with you. I am so bad, I can't carry a pitch. And there's sometimes I'm down here singing and, and Wes and they happen to leave my mic on and the worship team's up here and they're like, 
got it, Simmons, you know, because it's in their ear, you know, and they're, I'm just throwing their pitch off, and it's like, stop, you're killing us, man, and I just go, make a joyful noise to the Lord, you know, come on, <laughs> that's what scripture says, not me, yeah, that's the word, so I just get excited about it, but I love, I love, I love to sing, but when we come in, that we just give our attention fully to God, right, then we just go, God, you know, there's a lot of other things going on, a lot of other things in my life that are happening, and it's so easy to come in, and I, and I fall into this pattern too, right? I mean, it'd be easy to just have your coffee. It's easy to kind of come in and go, okay, let's get through the music. We'll have the message, you know. But your outward posture and my outward posture impacts your inward posture. Think about that for a minute. Your outward posture impacts your inward posture. And so if you and I are to give our full attention, there's times, man, we just bring coffee, that's great, but, but sometimes we just set it down and we just go, okay. And then we get, it gets a little awkward because we're like, you know, do I raise my hands, do I not? You know, are people looking at me? I kind of go here, that's not bad, but maybe if I, go, if I get up here, that's really bad. So maybe, I don't know, if people are like, kind of like, you have this war. This, yeah. Nobody's watching you, okay? Listen, listen, this is not on you, it's not on me. You and I can just have this freedom to come and, and yet if you're not engaging, your heart's not engaging, your mind's not engaging, change your posture. And maybe you want to kneel or maybe you want to just hold your hands out, you know, and just go, okay, I can go right here. That's okay. You know, I can handle this and uh, that's fine. Maybe you want to raise your hand. That's, that's fine. Whatever you want to do. But if you're not engaging, just say, hey, how can I change my posture, outward posture, because it'll impact my inward posture. Number four is this, prioritize giving in your worship. Prioritize giving in your worship. You know, when the king comes in the room, right? I mean, people kneel, the people would bow, and people would come, and they would offer a gift, and, and that's a part of worship. It is. It's a part of worship. One of my favorite worshipers is a guy named King David. He's in the Old Testament. This guy was a radical worshiper, man. I mean, this guy just loved God, even from a young age. He would be out taking care of the sheep, and he's playing his harp. You know, he wrote many of the Psalms, and those are songs that people would sing at the temple and other places, but he just loved God. He loved to worship, and God blessed him, obviously. I mean, he became the king, and I mean, you know, so many things happened in his life. But there was one time when this man, you know, David wanted to build an altar to the Lord. And, and so he goes to this man who has this property and the guy goes, hey, listen, you're the king. I'll just give it to you. And David goes, no, I'm not going to offer God something that costs me nothing. I'm not going to offer God something that costs me nothing. And I just thought, whoa, wow, there's a depth there, right? I mean, God has given me everything. God has blessed me in so many ways. I think if you go back to the Old Testament, that's why they had the tithe. And God said, you know, you give your first 10% to God. Now, why? You know? Does God need it? I mean, God holds all the riches in the world in his hands. No, but God knows the chief competitor for our hearts is so often money, right? And the amazing part to me about tithing is, is not God saying, hey, give your first 10%, but, but God saying, you get to keep 90%. How about that deal? You know, I'm the one who gives you everything, but you can have 90%. You just trust me and you hold on to me. And so when we come in and we worship, we just prioritize giving in that. And number five, number five is this. As you grow in your knowledge, as you grow in your knowledge, never lose your heart. Church, please, please, please hear me on this one. As you grow in your knowledge, never lose your heart. You know, so often, I mean, the more we know, the more kind of pious we become, you kind of step back. I think that's what happened to the Pharisees in so many ways. And they studied, 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 and yet they kind of stepped back and they, 
they lost that passion. They lost that engagement. I mean, as Leo was talking earlier, you know, remember when you were first married, you were just so in love and you, you loved your spouse and they were just so awesome and you would write notes. And then later on, right, life gets busy and you're thinking, when was the last time I wrote a note? You know, when it wouldn't, but you gotta keep that love. You gotta keep that spark, those love bursts. And the same with God. Never lose your heart there. In fact, the more you know, the more you grow in your knowledge, the more you ought to grow in your humility. The more you ought to grow in your love. The more you ought to grow in that, just that, God, thank you. In the depth of your worship. In the depth of your worship. See, here's the goal. The goal is this. The goal is that we become full-on worshipers, right? And, And worship's not just Sunday morning, but worship is every day of the week. Worship is whether we're in prison and things are hard and challenging or difficult, or worship is when things are going great. God, thank you. You are so good to me. God, you have blessed me. Or God, listen, I know this is hard, this is challenging, but God, right now, I am claiming your presence over my present reality. God, I am claiming that you are greater than what I'm facing. And God, I just want to worship. I want to think about you. I want to praise you. I want to worship. Church, get this. Everything, everything in all of history, everything in the word of God, all of it is leading to what? Worship. Everything is leading to worship. I mean, you study the New Testament. You study the book of Revelation, right? At some point, the rapture is going to happen. After the rapture, there'll be seven years of tribulation. And during that time of tribulation, the Antichrist. But then Jesus is going to come back. Right? And the first time he came, he was in humility and he came to die on the cross for our sins, to pay the price for us, to be resurrected, to conquer death. But this time when he comes, nobody's missing him. This time when he comes, he is going to step in and say, enough, enough pain, enough suffering, and he will gather his own. And there'll be the thousand year reign of Christ, the millennium. And then there'll be a new heaven and a new earth and it's going to be worship. And you can imagine every tongue and every tribe, people who've lived throughout history, you can imagine some of your loved ones, right? Your grandmother, your great-grandmother, your, your people that you've known, and you're gonna gather together and we're gonna worship. In fact, God gave the apostle John just a little glimpse into heaven. And in Revelation chapter 19, here's what John said as I looked into heaven. Here's what I saw. He says, then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you, his servants, you who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride, who's his bride? The church. The church, his bride has made herself ready. Fine linens, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints, what you and I do for the glory of God. Then the angel said to me, right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. And who's invited? Those who have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. And he added, these are the words, the true words of God. At this I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, exclamation point, right? Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. 
And one day we will gather. One day we will worship. And for eternity we will praise God. God will wipe away every tear from our eye. There will be no more pain, no more hardship. And God will make all things right. And we will worship. So church, let's get ready. So church, let's prepare our hearts. So church, let's be who God has called us to be. And let's worship. I want to invite our worship team to come right now and, and just to lead us in the time of response. And I want to invite you just to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment, just for a moment, right where you are. Where are you today in this area of worship? I mean, as you evaluate your, your heart's affection and your mind's attention, where are you today? As you look at where you spend your time or your resources, your energy, Maybe if you're honest, you would say, you know what, man, I used to be so in love with God. <laughs> and now it just seems like I go through the motions. And yet today, God's drawing you to himself. And maybe in your life, you would say, you know what, there's never been a time I've responded to God. I've always thought it's about me, and I've got to figure it out, and I've got to make things happen. And today, God's saying, hey, listen, let me be enough. Maybe today is a day of salvation. But I know this, that today is a day of worship. Father God, we sense your presence here this morning. Father, thank you. Thank you that you love us more than we could ever dream or ever imagine. And that God, you are for us. And Father, that all of history is leading to worship. And so God, we can't wait for that day as we gather with every tongue and tribe, with family and friends who've gone before us. We can't wait. But in the meantime, God, just set our heart's affection and our mind's attention on you. Allow us, Father, to worship. Thank you, God, for loving us, for your goodness and your grace. And thank you for your presence today. In the name of Jesus, we pray and we worship.